1: hello and welcome to the self-love club the podcast chatting about stuff that matters real talk and lols you're joined as always by me your host podcaster belle crawford on the show we're joined by dr jennifer lincoln an obstetrician gynecologist and author who has drawn in over 2.6 million followers on tiktok as a social educator sharing health information and busting myths it's the health class we all wish we had in high school I came across Dr. Jennifer on TikTok and absolutely loved her content and wanted to share it with you. And in this chat, we cover a lot. IUDs. Do they cause ectopic pregnancies? Should they require anaesthetic for insertion? How to effectively test hormones and how not to get conned? Red flags in relationships. And is sex meant to be painful? How big is the clitoris? See, we're covering a lot of ground here. PCOS and endometriosis. A trigger warning, we do briefly cover miscarriage and stillbirths in case that will be triggering for you. After listening, you can go watch videos of our conversations at Self Love Club Podcast on Instagram. And if you're like me, you're going to want to binge Dr. Jennifer's videos on TikTok. We'll put all the info in the show notes. Dr. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us on the Self Love Club. Welcome. Tell us a bit about yourself and what you do.
0: No, thank you for having me. I positively love the name of this, the self-love club like that should be. Everybody should belong to this club. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm an OBGYN. I work as an OB hospitalist in Portland, Oregon, and I use social media to educate and empower and fill in all the gaps that especially in the the United States, we did not get in sex education and in health class. It'd be really interesting to hear how it is, you know, where you were growing up too. Um, And I've written a book that is just sort of an extension of a lot of my TikToks. And it's a lot of fun talking about vaginas and busting myths every day.
1: Absolutely. We'll go through all that soon. But take us back. Where did you grow up? And growing up, did you have any idea of what you wanted to do?
0: I grew up on the complete opposite coast in New York, um, on Long Island specifically. And yeah, I was one of those weird kids, Belle. I always knew I wanted to be a doctor. I think that was just fed to me by my parents because they're like, that sounds like a good job. and you'll be financially <laughs> secure. So let's tell her that. But it worked. I actually really liked science and I liked all that stuff. Um, and there really, there was only a brief time where I considered doing something else when I was sort of scared after meeting some medical students who seemed miserable. <laughs> and then I realized I think it was just them. Um, I've always wanted to be a doctor. I did not know I wanted to work in, in OBGYN really till I did my rotations at med school. Um, I liked a little bit of everything, but this field was just, there was there was no going back. Yeah. And growing up, no, we did not talk about sex education or, you know, we got the bare, the bare minimum. So I, I find it kind of therapeutic. I feel like I'm, when I'm making this content, I'm kind of teaching like the 13 year old me or the 16 year old me going off to college. So mm. um, I feel like I've, I've been on that side and I can totally relate to people who feel like they've just never heard anything because their parents didn't know what to teach them or they weren't legally allowed to in school.
1: Yeah. Well, we were both basically taught that, Oh my thing, a lot of us, it was just like, just don't have sex just don't have yes, sex. You'll, yeah. you'll get or pregnant. You'll die. You'll, die. Yeah, you'll die. And they would show us this video <laughs> in high school over here of a woman giving birth when we were like yes. 14 and it was traumatic. And it was like mm-hmm. pretty much here's this video. Don't have sex because you'll have yep. to, you'll have a baby.
0: Yeah. I mean, we saw that video too. And it's funny because I remember my response to it was like, Oh my God, that's disgusting. Yeah. And now like, People are like, how do you do what you do? And I'm like, it's just like another Tuesday or Wednesday and it's beautiful, you know? It's the total opposite response. But it's how it's framed, right? Like pregnancy is this punishment, this consequence. Gonorrhea and you'll die and you'll never be able to get pregnant. And I went to Catholic school where a lot of the messaging was, you're going to go to hell. Mm. Um, Which when, you know, you're a very impressionable young teen and you want to do right and you want to, you know, not go to hell, that really weighs on you. And then you're thrust out into the world You are like, wait a minute. I feel like I was missing something.
1: (laughs) What are the most common things that you treat on a day-to-day basis in your job?
0: Yeah, so as an OB hospitalist, currently right now I work on labor and delivery. And so, you know, it's people coming in to have their babies or it's high risk complications. The hospital that I work at, Um, We are one of the highest risk hospitals in the entire state of Oregon, and we deliver the most babies in the whole state. So we are a busy place. And so we basically run an emergency room for pregnant people. And so we'll take care of everything and anything related to their pregnancy, but also not like kidney stones or COVID or um, trauma, you know, if somebody got in a car accident. I love the high-risk stuff, I find it so fascinating, and I get to work really closely with our perinatologists, which are the OBGYNs who have done additional training to do um, help people with high-risk issues. It's just really fun to get to use that part of my brain, and at the same time, I get to work with midwives You know, when there's more low-risk stuff. So, um, And it's really fun to help people in those very stressful situations. know dealing with preeclampsia or you know an emergency like postpartum hemorrhage or seizures or something like that to be able to walk them through that and help it feel not so traumatic to them that's that's really my favorite
1: yeah that is a really intense time in someone's life that's Mm -hmm. something they've probably never experienced before so Mm -hmm. to feel like they're in safe hands must feel quite rewarding
0: yeah it's super fun and you know as a hospitalist sometimes my patients come in and they were planning on delivering at a different hospital or they had no prenatal care. And in a very quick moment, we have to form this like trust, this bond, like, I know you don't know me. And it's really, and I'll even say to them, it's kind of weird that we're meeting like this right now as your baby is delivering. But here's a little bit about me. You're in a safe place. I'm going to take care of you. How can I help you best? And I work with a fantastic team of nurses. Every day is different. Yeah. <laughs> Some days I go home thinking, why do I do this job? Um, but I always come back and I love it. And the people I work with, um, they treat women and birthing people amazingly well.
1: And when did the social media stuff come into it? You know, did you just start mm. sharing information online, which I love because it makes it so accessible for everybody to learn things? Yeah,
0: thanks. Yeah. it's And that was really the goal was like, how do I educate outside of the four walls of a hospital, um, especially as a hospitalist where I have these very intense encounters and then people just go off and I might not see them again. Um, so I just started using social media, just like you know, three years ago, like sharing pictures of my kids. And I saw other doctor moms who were using it in an educational way, and about topics that don't often get discussed as much: fertility, miscarriage, um, correcting misinformation about pregnancy and birth. I mean, so many things. And I have always loved writing. I minored in English in college. I wrote for the newspaper. I like communicating things in a simple way. And so I jumped in. I was terrified because I thought, what What am I doing here? This is ridiculous. People are going to make fun of me. People aren't going to respect me. And I, Thankfully, I think that's changing. I think that we can see that healthcare providers can use social media in a legit way, and it's not considered superfluous. And it kind of just took off. First, I was on Instagram, then TikTok and YouTube. And each one has its little niche of like how I have a different audience and I feel like I can educate in a different way. And it's been very rewarding. I will say it has its drawbacks for sure, um, but I think it can really help educate those people who might be too afraid to ask their own doctor. So mm. I, my goal is to come across as somebody that like they can feel is relatable. They can be like, okay, she's saying this, that my period hurt this bad. Okay. I'm going to go ask my doctor now. Now Mm -hmm. I feel empowered to do that. Um, so that part's been really fun.
1: No, I love it. I, I love what you're doing. Keep it up. And I know that sometimes there can oh, be okay. the more you do things, the more negativity and people on TikTok can be so mm-hmm. mean. But just mm-hmm. what are they doing? Like just yeah, I, yeah, just keep doing it. I love it.
0: Well, yeah, this week has been especially hard. Um, I don't know if you've been seeing on TikTok. You know, there's a lot of information, a lot of content lately about IUDs and IUD insertion pain, which is not anything new. I mean, we've been talking about this for a while, mm. myself and my gynecology colleagues, and some people have started to to take this message and really sort of amplify it, but in a way that I just think is harmful. They make it very sensational and, um, and also are not experts in the field. Not that I I love it when people are advocating for, you know, other fields. And so I posted a response to it. And the amount of hate I got yesterday in terms of comments, you know, people saying some really terrible things. And I just took it down. I was like, you know what? I do this for free. I'm here to help. And you just got to take it down and protect your mental space. Mm. So of course, today it's like, you know, now you're running and you won't respond. You know what? All of this stuff is fluff. It could go away tomorrow. What matters is what you do in your everyday protecting your mental health and there's going to be trolls and so I try to practice what I preach and say if this is not bringing me joy, why the heck are we doing it? And and that's okay. You can't be you can't fix every misinformation post out there as much as I want to. I'm like I need to have a boundary.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, crazy, you know. 100%. Yeah. And you know, speaking about IUDs, there are a lot of myths mm-hmm. and about the pain. I remember when I first had I have had two before. My second one actually came mm-hmm. out, but my first no one, one. The first one was horrible when it went in. The second Mm -hmm. one, I was more prepared. I did some Mm -hmm. really, I've been doing a lot of Pilates, so I did some like really good Mm -hmm. breathing and it It was really, it was fine. But you know, a lot of people, especially if you haven't had children getting one, it can be quite painful. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and I think that that's totally valid and legitimate and it's about, I think so much of about it is about real counseling and preparation. Like here's what it's going to be like. And there's a balance, right? They're saying this could hurt and here's what that could feel like. And if we're like that, or if you're like that, tell me and we'll stop and we'll make a new plan versus the people who are like, well, it's not, it's just one quick cramp and you're done. Like that is the case for some people, but that's not adequate counseling. The extreme of that is people who, and this is really what I'm seeing on TikTok, people who are saying, for me, it was worse worse than childbirth. And so you need to tell everybody that. So that's not true for everybody. And if we said that to everybody nobody would get an iud and they might turn down a method they might actually otherwise really love so to say that our personal experience is the lived experience of everyone is completely inaccurate but i've been told that i'm gaslighting when i say that to people and i'm trying to say i'm doing the exact opposite i'm validating your pain i'm here to give you the data of what it is you know if you are informed you feel like you have good communication let's talk about pain management let's talk about what works what might work what might actually be worse and make a plan for you. And that's gonna get you the best outcome that you want. Everybody's different. It's not a one size fits all. And that bothers me that we are pigeonholing it into this like, well, obviously you just need local anesthesia and that'll be better. And why don't doctors like us? And there's a lot of historical stuff that's been out there when it comes to gynecologic care or just care for those assigned female at birth in general. But absolutisms do nobody any good. And we need to talk about the core of this is communication, education, empowerment, and
1: respect. Do you think women should be given more pain relief when they get an IUD put in?
0: I think there are some basic things that should be done every time, like um, pre-medication with naproxen, like a lidocaine, prilocaine cream. Um, And then the other things can be like an individualized, individualized, like a menu, because some things like injections of Toradol in the arm, which is like ibuprofen, works for some, but in some studies, people said that was the worst part. Same thing with local anesthesia. And so it's all about... I think of it like as a menu. And when it comes to more intense medication, like sedation or general anesthesia, a lot of people are advocating saying that should be the baseline for everybody. That will never happen. Insurance will never cover it. It would make it completely inaccessible. And it's also overkill for the vast majority of people. We should definitely have that as an option for people. Like you said, yours was really painful the first time. Mm. I would be like, let's talk about how we can make that better the next time. Maybe that's the option. Or if somebody had really a really bad, just like a pap smear. Like I'm not going to wait for them to prove that an IUD hurts for them too to say, hey, you might be the person where anesthesia or an anti-anxiety medication or a narcotic medication might be right for you. So it's all about personalizing it. Um, it's just not one size fits all because it's not a one size fits all experience. Just like with birth, right? We don't say everybody needs to have an epidural or everybody needs to go unmedicated. It's what are your goals? What's important to you? What makes you feel more in control? I've seen people who've gotten anxiety medication and it was terrible for them because they hated that feeling of being out of control. And that's like, that's a long answer, right? And so I'm trying to fit that into a comment of somebody who says, you're gaslighting women, you hate them. You don't want to give them anesthesia. I'm like, well, here's the thing. And that nuance can get lost on TikTok or
1: yeah social media
0: in general which is unfortunate
1: so what are some myths around i guess contraception whatever options they may be and including iud so like what are those myths around uh, around contraception for women Mm
0: -hmm. well i love that we're talking about this today because there's been a tweet that's been going around that's viral saying that a whole generation of people who've been given the birth control pill now suffer from what was it pcos infertility depression there might've been another one
1: yeah, I saying saw that. in essence,
0: you know, yeah, that the birth control caused all of this. And then what's really fun is to watch other people like naturopathic doctors and, and other people who are supposed to be experts in this space, amplifying that message. And that's completely false. Birth control does not cause PCOS. We sometimes use it as a treatment from it, but not, it doesn't cause it. People who are saying that have no grasp of how this disease works and they shouldn't be treating it if that's what they think. Same thing with fertility. No birth control leads to infertility can actually be protective for some people um, for their fertility. And so there's just a ton of anti-birth control rhetoric out there right now. And I'm not somebody who says, well, birth control is perfect and there's nothing wrong with it. It's all about side effects. It's all about discussing your personal goals. And it's, again, about adequate counseling. It all comes back to the same thing. It's weird to me that the people who often shout the message about how birth control causes all these issues or the first one to sell you an unregulated untested supplement. But whatever, what do I know? I'm just I just work here. <laughs> and yet I'm the big pharma shell. and I'm like where's my money? I haven't seen it. But they're cashing in so much money from their supplements. I'm doing it wrong. I'm just doing it wrong. You're funny.
1: Oh. Yeah, what about <laughs> ectopic pregnancies? Yeah. What tell us
0: about mm-hmm. those? Yes, we are talking about all the things I've been talking about this past week. I love it. Um, So a lot of people hear IUDs cause ectopic pregnancies. My doctor never told me that. Here's the cool thing. IUDs actually protect you against ectopic pregnancy because they're so effective, over 99% effective. So your chance of even getting pregnant is so much lower than somebody walking around having sex with no birth control or with a not as good method like condoms or even birth control pills. So the chance that you are even going to get pregnant is so low, which means that the chance that you're going to have an ectopic in gross numbers is much lower. Now, if you do get pregnant, yes, you are at at an increased risk for an ectopic. Nobody would argue with that. That's 100% true. And I just answered this question this morning on my TikTok. Somebody had asked, oh, I thought that risk stuck with you. Like if you've had an IUD in the past, had it removed, are you at an increased risk for an ectopic moving forward? And that's also totally not true. A really cool fact about IUDs, the primary way that they work is by thickening the cervical mucus. So bugs like gonorrhea and chlamydia, they actually have a harder time getting up and infecting you and going to the fallopian tubes. And one of the things that we know that puts you at risk for an ectopic pregnancy is pelvic inflammatory disease from these bugs. So another way that it's almost even a little protective against ectopics. Again, not like a short two-second answer, which is Gnar. why people hear, well, my IUD, you know, IUDs cause ectopics. Like, okay, hold on. And that's why it's important to really break it down and address it. Yeah, in like a factual way not in a soundbite way you know
1: yeah. we'll get back to the rest of our conversation with Dr Jennifer Lincoln soon but first we're an independent podcast and there are some super easy ways you can support us make sure you hit follow on your podcast app to subscribe hit follow on Spotify Apple we're on all of them Turn on automatic downloads, leave us a five star rating, and write us a kind review if you're enjoying listening. Keep up with us and follow at Self Love Club Podcast on Instagram, and I'm at Belle Crawford on Instagram, bell underscore Crawford on TikTok for vlogs. You can show us where you're listening and post on your stories. Make sure you tag us at Self Love Club Podcast so we can see and share.
0: Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue.
1: Let's get back to the rest of our chat with Dr. Jennifer Lincoln. Hormones. I heard you talk about hormones a lot and mm-hmm. also hormone saliva testing. Tell mm-hmm. us about
0: that. <laughs> if somebody orders a hormone saliva test on you, um, you need to not ever go back to them because they have no idea what they're doing. Like that's literally the answer. That's it. That's a five second TikTok because mm. um, the truth of the matter is, is that your hormones fluctuate hour to hour, minute to minute. Even what you get as a result of what's in your saliva in no way, shape or form reflects your blood hormone level, which could actually be useful if you're testing for something like you know, what we call premature ovarian failure, which is a horrible name, but essentially your ovaries shut down sooner and you go through an abnormally early menopause. If somebody's testing your hormone levels, again, by the saliva, there is just no medical reason that it should be done, mm. like ever.
1: <laughs> yeah, and you hear of that happening a lot. I mean, I had a, mm-hmm. I had a hormone imbalance when I came off uh, the pill years back, and. Um, my doctor did tests and everything, but I'd heard about I mm-hmm. was like, oh, you got to go to this person. They do saliva testing. I didn't go, mm-hmm. which I'm glad. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah. but a lot of people are doing that sort of stuff.
0: It's a huge industry. Mm. And it I get why the, you know, I call it big wellness. I'm talking about naturopathic medicine, people who say they're functional medicine, integrative medicine physicians. A lot of it's unregulated terms. And it but it sprouted out of people didn't feel heard in traditional medicine. Mm. So they went elsewhere. I get it you know you can go to a nice office they talk to you for an hour they say that they hear your concerns and then they offer you a battery of tests and so you feel like you're seen and and more cared for i i would too the thing is is that so many of the things they do are not based in science or are based in really crappy science aren't evidence based you pay cash and you leave there and based on what they've tested they're going to sell you directly hundreds of dollars worth of supplements i mean talk about people talk about big pharma and i'm not saying that big pharma is a, you know, god or a goddess by no means. But when I prescribe a birth control pill, I make no money off of it. The pharmacy, they do. So, but when these people sell you buckets of supplements directly from their office and you pay cash only, they are directly profiting. Like, how is that ethical? Mm. I just don't get it. Mm.
1: (laughs) So if someone did have issues with their hormones, how would you Mm. suggest that they get them treated? Like, how do you test Mm -hmm.
0: them? Yeah. And I think that's the key because the opposite isn't well, you don't have a problem, right? Because that's what I I hear a lot of people say. Well, at least they're listening to me. And it's really about why do you think that you have an issue with your hormones? Tell me what your symptoms are. Is it irregular periods? Is it heavy periods? Is it vaginal dryness? Is it hot flashes? What's going on here? Um, Because when you get to the root of the symptoms, then you can say, okay, that sounds like that could be, you know, an issue with your thyroid or it could be an issue with some other autoimmune disease. could be premature ovarian failure. And then we can target it based on that. It's not that... People should just be told, and I know this happens, well, your blood work's fine, so I don't know what to do. You must be fine. Like, that's not mm-hmm. okay either. There's so many terms thrown out there, like estrogen dominance and all this stuff. And there's that's not a medical diagnosis. So when you receive that, I don't know what that means. So mm-hmm. instead, let's get to the root of, Tell me what your actual symptoms are and let's go from there
1: and is that done by blood are there blood tests that can tell that sort of information
0: yeah i mean sometimes we check your blood hormone level like for example if we think you're going through menopause but really it's not super useful to routinely be checking those levels because they fluctuate from a day-to-day basis so it again it depends what we're looking for if we're worried about pcos for example we might check some hormones like testosterone Um, We might check your insulin, um, you know, because those things can definitely, you know, can be affected in that sort of hormonal issue. But it's not like it's the same battery of tests for every single thing, if that makes sense. Mm. It's more of a targeted workup. And sometimes it's going off of clinical symptoms. Sometimes we don't need a blood test to say, okay, here's what's going on. For example, menopause, there is no lab diagnosis of it. It's not having a period for 12 months. You need to find somebody who listens to your specific symptoms and does figure out what's going on, but know that just more testing isn't always better.
1: Yeah. Tell us about PCOS. What is it? I'm hearing a lot more people talk about it these days than they Mm -hmm. had previously.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's pretty common. Around 10% of people with a uterus will have it. And it's really sort of this triad of symptoms of irregular periods. Well, first of all, let's back up. The name sucks, polycystic ovarian syndrome, because that's like one part of it, but you don't even have to have that on ultrasound in order to get the diagnosis. But Generally, what you see on ultrasound when you look is you see a bunch of little follicles or cysts in different sizes because you're not doing the normal dance of every month. One one follicle gets chosen, and that's the one that gets bigger and releases the egg. So it's kind of the classic, what we call anovulation. So you're not having regular periods. If we look on ultrasound, we see that it's not the normal development of one particular follicle. And there are signs of what we call hyperandrogenism which is when we think of kind of male pattern stuff. So extra testosterone. So you might have a bit of facial hair, might have some balding. Um, you might have fat distribution, an area that we can typically consider like male distribution. And so based on what your symptoms are, we might rule out other things that could cause this. But if those come back negative, then you would have a diagnosis of PCOS. The reason we care about that, not only because we don't want you to suffer with, you know, these symptoms, but because it has some health effects. If you're not having a regular period every month, you're at an increased risk for cancer of the uterus. One way that we treat that is by giving you birth control. And that's why it really bothers me when people say birth control is a Band-Aid. I'm like, actually, it's kind of like an anti-cancer prevention, but... You know, you wouldn't tell people that have diabetes that insulin is a Band-Aid. It's actually treating something Mm. really legit. You know, it can help uh, decrease their testosterone levels. We can talk about um, that's also helping to prevent cardiac disease. And then down the road, um, some people who have PCOS need help with fertility because they are more likely to have issues with. Um, being able to conceive
1: and endometriosis is something which affects Mm -hmm. a lot of women as well a lot of people Mm -hmm. with uteruses you know Mm -hmm. and the only way in New Zealand that you can actually get diagnosed with it is by doing keyhole surgery so tell us about endometriosis and are these things curable Mm -hmm. yeah endometriosis
0: you're right it's one of those things it's a surgical diagnosis meaning that you can only definitively diagnose it after having surgery and you know seeing it in the person's pelvis because you can't really see it on ultrasound for everybody Um, but it doesn't mean you have to have that surgery to diagnose it if you are suspicious enough of it. We are able to treat you and you get better and we think that's probably what's going on. Um, so yeah, endometriosis, I don't tell people it's curable. I tell them it's manageable. It's really a chronic disease and it's when cells that are very similar to the lining of the uterus go elsewhere and they cause trouble elsewhere, like the outside of the uterus, the bowel, the ovaries. I mean, sometimes it goes crazy and it goes to like the liver, the lungs, it's insane. Um, and the classical presentation is really painful periods They might even have pain at baseline because it's this chronic inflammatory state, but it gets worse with periods. They might have pain with sex. They might have heavier periods. They might have infertility. You might see something called endometriomas, which are like big blood-filled cysts on ultrasound. So sometimes you see it, but not seeing it doesn't mean you don't have it. Um, And treatment, really the, you know, what we say is the gold standard is surgical excision of endometriosis, but it doesn't mean once you get rid of it, it's gone. It can come back. I have also had a lot of people who have gotten very angry at me on social media when I've said that. It can also be managed with things like birth control, because for some people, they don't want to have surgery. And if you give them birth control and you suppress their cycles, then their pain is manageable and they do great. And that's absolutely true for some people. But I found people are really angry when they say that because they say you're not listening, you're not offering surgery. And that's not the case. Once again, it's individualized. What are your goals? What do you want? Are you okay with having surgery or do you have a lot of risks? How how bad are your symptoms? So it's really... Um, it's really important to go to somebody who does this sort of thing regularly Mm because endometriosis can look really really subtle on surgery i have a friend of mine who like this is what she does i would trust myself with her
1: Yeah, you touched on sex being painful for women. Mm -hmm. That is something I don't feel that's spoken about enough. There is actually a condition, Mm -hmm. right? I've heard some people experience it, but is sex supposed to be painful?
0: Yeah, no, it's not supposed to be. And if it is, like, I want to know about it. And I agree with you about, like, there is not enough discussion of this. And I think it's because part of it's on us, right? We have these quick 20-minute visits with you, and we're going through your periods and your pap smear and your breast exam and Da, 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 and like, if you ask the question, so how's sex going? That's going to be a lot to talk mm-hmm. about for some people. And so I know that there are some practitioners who don't bring it up because they they don't feel comfortable dedicating that much time or they don't know what to offer their patients. And that's not OK. But I would say the vast majority of gynecologists, that's something that's bread and butter to us because we know that there's lots of different things that can cause it and we can help. But yeah, I've, some of my earliest social media posts were like, hey, if sex hurts, stop. Number one, don't grin and bear it. Let us know. And if you've ever seen somebody, you know, a healthcare practitioner who says, well, you just need to relax or drink a glass of wine, like it's like with the saliva hormone people, like don't ever go back to them (laughs) because that's terrible advice.
1: What's that condition called where some people have a condition where it is painful for them? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. You might be thinking of vaginismus where people, like it feels like you're hitting a wall. And it's really because the pelvic muscles are so contracted. And it's not like your arm or your leg where you can like look at it and say, oh, well, just relax it. It's under a different nervous um, system control. Vaginismus in and of itself is a symptom and something we can treat, but sometimes it's caused by things like a difficult childbirth or history of abuse or other injury or some nerve or skin disorders. But yeah, the the classic is like, I can't get a tampon. It's like hitting a wall.
1: Right. And can that be like, Mm -hmm. obviously that can be treated, but can you overcome that? Like, can you not Mm -hmm. have that anymore?
0: Yeah, this is where your best friend becomes a pelvic floor physical therapist. This is what they do. They specialize in these muscles using different modalities of treatment, biofeedback, dilator therapy, um, sometimes medications to help kind of rewire the muscles in that area. And some of my favorite people I follow on social media are, are pelvic floor PTs because while i've worked with them you know i've never never got to like rotate with them in residency and like be in the room and you know i know what they do but it's super fun to like just hear how they talk about things from their perspective mm. um so they are a fantastic resource and it doesn't mean that you need to go to them you know two times a week for a year sometimes people just go once are told, like, here's what you can do at home and, like, check back in. Other people do need more guidance, and it's really it's about what you might need or what you're comfortable with.
1: Yeah, people might see those sorts of people when or specialists when they're recovering after childbirth. Um, mm-hmm. And I wanted to chat with you about recovery from birth and C-section. Mm-hmm. I feel like from a lot of us, what we see, it's, you know, it's so much – Emphasis goes into a pregnancy, and then the baby's mm-hmm. born. But mm-hmm. tell us about that recovery and that time.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've you know I saw it somewhere, and I can't remember where. I wish I could credit them, but they made the comment that like being pregnant is like um like you're a candy in a wrapper, and once the candy comes out, you're the wrapper, and you just get thrown away and forgotten about. And it's so true and so heartbreaking because. We focus on the baby, the baby, which is awesome. Like, I have two kids. I love my babies. You know, I want to pay attention to them, too. But we also need to focus on the person who just basically rented out their entire body, did one of the riskiest things you can do in the human history, which is, like, get pregnant and give birth. And then we just forget about them. And, and I posted an Instagram post about this yesterday, like, this whole bounce back, snap back culture. You spent 10 months growing a human pregnancy is 10 months not nine but don't tell anybody then you're just put like six weeks later you're just you know have sex and, and do this and feed your baby and you're perfect and you shouldn't be depressed why are you sad your, your birth was perfect like we totally forget about that um, and when it comes to the pelvic floor like oh my god in France my understanding is everybody gets pelvic floor physical therapy after birth if they want it in the United States good luck like maybe insurance will cover it maybe you'll have access in your area I don't know what it's like in New Zealand, but it's definitely not like a time of worrying about how they recover. It's like, great, you gave birth. Now be super mom and and do all these things. And and if you ask for help, you're weak. I hate that. I hate that message so much because that wasn't me. I'll tell you what. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. I really don't like that whole bounce back thing. I think well, hopefully mm-hmm. we're getting rid of that a little bit. But, you know, there's this pressure on women so. that, that afterwards, you know, oh, you should fit back into your pre-pregnancy jeans again. You should be mm-hmm. in active wear and looking all toned. Yeah. But that, there shouldn't be that pressure. Your body's gone through a right. massive experience. Right.
0: Right. And like, good for you if you want to exercise and you get back to that. Like, there's no shame in that. But like this idea that everybody, you know, you're going to go back. I made the comparison to like, you never ask a butterfly to go back to being a caterpillar. (laughs) Like maybe the new phase that you are and the new image, like you've created a new person. You're a mother or you're a parent. Like, that's beautiful. Mm. Who cares if you have stretch marks? And You know, who cares if maybe you're 10 pounds heavier? You are the perfect person for your child. You did something really amazing. Whether you delivered by, you know, C-section or an unmedicated birth, like they're all awesome.
1: And what are some of the big changes in a woman's body after pregnancy and childbirth? Yeah,
0: well, I think the biggest one that we focus on is the physical, but I really want to call attention to the mental, which is that the number one complication of childbirth isn't preeclampsia or hemorrhage or what have you. It's postpartum depression and anxiety. It affects about one in seven people, but I think that's much higher. I don't think everybody is screened properly for it. And it's in not just moms it's in dads and all parents. So just the idea that you've got this whole new human you have to care for often in a fragmented healthcare system, especially in the midst of a pandemic um it's real so we and we make it easy like you're supposed to fall right in love with your baby not everybody does and that's okay and and if you're struggling we can help but other changes i mean certainly just the idea that you again you you slowly gained all this weight it's not just going to melt away that's normal your pelvic floor may be different especially depending how you birthed how long you pushed for how big your baby was if you had any issues there may be some issues with things like urine leakage or feeling a sensation of prolapse both of these might not continue forever, but there's things that we can do even in the short term to help improve those symptoms. Um, and then of course with breastfeeding, a lot of people say, well, your breasts are saggy because you breastfed. And that's actually not true. It's just the act of being pregnant changes things. I try to tell people like, please do not not choose to breastfeed because you're worried about that, but let's make an informed decision either way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a that's definitely a big one but i think a really cool thing i don't know how many people know this but i love this fact um you carry the dna of your kids around for the rest of your life so you know my boys are 11 and 6 but if you took my blood today you would find some of their the fetal dna still in my bloodstream and i love to say that to people who are experiencing pregnancy loss too because there's nothing i mean that's the worst part of the job is when i have to you know, somebody's had a stillbirth or very early preterm birth where the baby won't survive. You know, I say you are a mother and you will always have literally a part of your child in you forever. And Mm. I just think when I learned that fact blew my mind. I thought that was so cool.
1: Yeah. We are hearing a lot more about people sharing their experiences with miscarriage. And it Mm -hmm. is something that unfortunately is very common part of pregnancy.
0: Yeah. One in four. And you think about, you hear that number and you go, you know, maybe you do know somebody because more people are talking about it, which I love. But a lot of people think, oh, I don't. I'm like, no, you do. It's just that nobody shared it with you. And once you start talking about it, you realize a lot of people, it is very common, which is sad. But knowing that, too, sometimes makes you feel like, okay, it's not just me. You know, I helping people who've, who've gone through pregnancy loss, the inevitable is, what did I do to cause this? Mm. Why me? And, you know, and I always make it a point to say, you didn't. Sometimes things happen, but I know that might not feel very useful most of the time because we always want to think there has to be a logical reason. And sometimes there's just not. It's a you know it's a developmental issue. There's something genetic that just wasn't right. But I think talking about it's fantastic because when we do that, we destigmatize it. Um, and we tell people that they're not broken and we just help to get it out in the open. I think it's so crucial.
1: Totally. And for people who have you know, reoccurring miscarriages that Mm -hmm. can be, that must be so traumatic for people thinking that maybe there is something wrong because it keeps happening.
0: Right. Right. Or the person who's had a baby and given birth and then can't get pregnant or has recurrent miscarriages. And I follow a bunch of great fertility physicians on social media and to see the things that are said to their patients, like, well, you should be thankful you even got pregnant or you already have a kid or so many harmful things like I think the best thing you can say in these situations is you know if you don't know what personally to say I don't know what you're feeling I'm here for you it's okay to feel how you feel
1: I love how you talk about relationship red flags on your social media Mm -hmm. as well so talk us through your idea of relationship red flags
0: Yes. Well, so much of it has to do with the labia. Can we just start there because <laughs> I was seeing so many TikToks of people who were saying, "Well, my boyfriend said that my labia are too big or they're too long or when it comes to like vaginal discharge or scent, like my boyfriend says it it smells like there." He doesn't know if that's normal or it's supposed to smell like a piña colada, like screw that. If they are even there, they should be thinking they're lucky stars. So if they're telling you to change like how you look, whether you have pubic hair or not, like that's not their decision, it's yours. And if you Want to like shave your pubic hair, you I guess, but just don't do it for somebody else. Like that's a huge red flag. The other one is like the one that I see a lot is people saying, well, he says not wearing a condom doesn't feel good. Yeah. Well, not having sex doesn't feel good either. So do you want to have a condom on or do you want to have a date with yourself? Cause like that's the options I'm giving you. Like do not let people talk you out of being safe. Those are huge red flags. And I just really think, you know, any idea of like, you should look this way or look at her, look what she's wearing. She's so hot. Like, excuse me, like, can we please have some respect? It's just sad to me um sometimes what I see people put up with not because they don't know better in the society like we are conditioned to to be you know abstinent right don't have sex or you'll die like we talked about in high school and then you're supposed to become this amazing sex porn kitten Mm. and fulfill every need of your partner meanwhile like have you even like have they even asked you where your clitoris is like have they even entertained the idea that maybe it's not always about them Mm. huge red flag
1: <laughs> yeah yeah when it's not like returning the favor or actually mm-hmm. thinking about your mm-hmm. needs and it's all about them yeah
0: right they want oral sex but they won't reciprocate they're like i don't do that I'm like, oh okay time
1: to go yeah I think the not wearing condoms thing is such a big thing and I, I'm glad that mm. we're speaking about it because I think it's something that a lot of women have heard over the years you know oh that doesn't feel good for me well like that's yeah. it's just not true
0: neither does getting gonorrhea or like giving birth if you don't want to so I'm sorry like let's be real here And you know what's really scary um, I learned so much from social media like I'm telling you it's been a very eye-opening thing. <laughs> This idea of stealthing, you know, that people have sex and remove the condom without letting the partner know. And like, that is like a turn on for them. Like they routinely do this. That's abusive. That is not okay. Um,
1: What are some of your go-to self-care practices? Things that you like to do um, to take really good care of yourself?
0: So I'm that person. I'm going to be like, I love riding my Peloton. I used to make fun of everybody who was obsessed with their Peloton, but I do. Like after all the stress of the past few days, I got on it this morning and I just felt amazing just sweating. And like, it's like therapy. I swear. I also love reading. I love to get lost in a good book. That is my escape. And I love to get out in nature. So I live in the Pacific Northwest and I'm super spoiled. We've got mountains. We've got the coast. I love being by myself. I think I grew up as an only child. And while, of course, I love my husband and my kids, I do. I love, I recharge by being by myself and like having quiet and just putting all the noise out.
1: And what are some advice that you would like to share with your younger self? Knowing what you know now, what would you tell her? Oh
0: my God. I would tell her, her so much oh my god I tell her about the clitoris um I would say that you you have choices you know you can choose whether or not to have sex you can choose whether or not to do a lot of things but you weren't given a lot of information you were just scared out of things and it's important to understand how your body works and then you choose what to do and knowing that stuff doesn't make you dirty or not pure or whatever you know, ridiculous idea they want you to have. But to know that it's, you deserve to understand that how that part of your body works because it's just biology. It's not scandalous.
1: <laughs> yeah. Before we do wrap up, tell us, I've learned a lot about, through your watching your TikToks about the clitoris and that it doesn't actually mm-hmm. end where you think it does. There's more to the clitoris than meets the eye. I know. What you see is
0: like literally just the tip of the clitoris. It's, you know, it kind of goes up and it flanks out and these, these little legs on the side. So like the underneath the labia and the side of the vagina, which is why touching there and pressure there can feel so good. And not everybody knows that. And then once you do, you can be like, okay, I'm going to try this or I'm going to show this to my partner so they can work here. Once you know that, like they can't take that from you. That's your education. So your school may not be teaching it to you, but once you know it.
1: Yeah. You've given us so much advice, but what is some, I guess, self-care advice you would like to share with others when it comes Mm. to their sexual and physical health?
0: I would say um, choose wisely. There's so much stuff on social media and I think it can be so great to fill in the gaps of what you don't know, but there's a lot of harmful stuff out there too. So red flags, if people are talking outside their area of expertise, they're trying to sell you something or something just sounds sensational or you ask for like, where did you get this from? And they won't tell you. Those are red flags and I I really recommend not following those accounts. It's okay if you're not sure to ask or to like show it to your provider and be like, is this legit? Anytime anybody makes you feel ashamed about your body, stop and hold that thought far away and say, not today. There's so much shame culture out there and it's hard for us to undo it. Myself included, you know, I'm learning as I go too. And if you're raising little ones, understand that your language matters too and just we're gonna break this cycle. I have a lot of faith in Gen Z. I think they're amazing. And I think that we are getting to a point where we can talk about these things more broadly and hopefully not have this damage we need to undo years later.
1: Yeah, it's gone from not sharing to being overshare. I feel like Gen Z are <laughs> absolute overshearers talk about everything, which is great. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
0: I know sometimes you're like wow did I need to know that and you're like maybe I did or maybe I didn't need to know this very weird specific you know (laughs) yeah it's a rabbit hole for sure
1: yeah and Mm -hmm. it's quite cool that you know things like you say we've been shamed out of talking about our own bodies and about sex and everything and now it's actually really empowering for women and Mm -hmm. people of all genders to be able Mm -hmm. to speak about these things
0: Yeah, and then TV shows out there like Sex Education, like so many shows where you're like, this is even 10 years ago, 20 years ago, this would have never been talked about. Um, It's great.
1: Yeah, I love Sex Education. And there's another show Mm -hmm. which was... The Sex Lives of College Girls, which was made by um, Mindy Culling, and that was really good. Yeah, I need
0: to see that. So many people have told it's me, and funny. I love her. She's yeah. awesome. I need to, yeah, I got to add it to my list. I just finished Inventing Anna and oh, The yes. House and The Woman Across the Street. Like, yeah. so good. Like, oh my gosh.
1: I watched Inventing <laughs> Anna too. I was obsessed because I listened to that podcast a couple of years back, and I also oh. loved it in Inventing Anna how, Anna Klumski from My Girl was the, was one of the I know. Main, I was like, oh my I I've missed you. It. I was like,
0: I know. I was like, where have you been? Cause that, that movie destroyed me. Like so many I years know. like of My Girl. Oh, don't even get me started. I, know. Yeah, I, I loved it.
1: I couldn't watch My Girl 1. I, I had an obsession with My Girl 2 and that's when like I got yeah. my mood ring and everything. Yes, yeah, was, I did too. Oh the, my
0: gosh. I made my mom go, take me to the mall to get oh a my God.
1: mood ring. <laughs> Same. I thought she was so pretty and then she's back and I'm like, oh my God, please do more. I know. Yeah.
0: I know, it was phenomenal. The casting was perfect. It was such a good show.
1: Side note, what did you think about, like, what do you think about Anna as a as a person, as a character? I
0: know, I know. I just, I have so many thoughts. I hope she does write a book because I would love to hear it from her perspective. Like, oh, obviously she's a genius, right? Mm. But she's clearly got some issues. Um, yeah, but I'd never read... I never heard of this whole yeah. story beforehand, so I do. I want to go back and, like, read the actual article and listen to the podcast because I think it's fascinating. It's kind of like the um the dropout, you know, about um, Theranos, like the same sort yeah. of vein. Like, it, there's a very thin line between genius and, like, total, you know, insanity.
1: <laughs> yeah. And being yeah. able to trick those people, like, top-level bankers and everything, like, that's smart. I know, I know. Oh, thank you so much for your time today. Everything you've shared with us, I'll make sure we share where we can find you for to, to like literally binge all of your content and leave nice comments <laughs> only. Like no trolls here, no trolls allowed. <laughs> but yeah, thank you that. so much for what you're doing and for your time today. Likewise, you too. Have a great one, Belle that's all we've got time for thank you so much for listening to the self-love club you can watch videos of our conversation with dr jennifer lincoln at self-love club podcast on instagram make sure you keep up hit follow you'll find us there in the meantime we'll have a new episode in your feed next week make sure you hit follow on your podcast app to subscribe we'll catch you then see ya imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time